You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast. My name is Colin Austin, and this is the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. I don't like that new intro. I'm gonna work on that, Satchel. <laughs> I gotta figure out another way to carve that in there, but I'm not. I'm, I don't like that one, so I'll, I'll work on it. I promise. Everybody's like, you gotta, you gotta say your name, Colin. Uh, uh, maybe not. Maybe it's just because I don't like saying my name. Do you like saying your own name? My name's Colin. I don't. Austin. I don't like listening to myself. I don't like saying my own name, but. You know, yeah. it comes with the territory. I, I have faith that you'll get it. Okay. Well, today on the show, we have the co-founder of the super fan company, Kim Kaup. How are you doing? I am doing amazing. I am so excited to have you here. You guys, this is like real quick. I want I wanted to talk. I mean, and like I had a much longer intro. I'm like UF graduate, Forbes 30 under 30, and so much more. But I'm just like I just know that we're gonna get into all of this great stuff <laughs> and talk about it. So like I'm just like oh we'll get there. But I do want to talk about real quick the power of the DM because I mean I, I'm just super honored that you even like carved out this little slice of time for us because Kim, you guys, Kim, she's literally in town for like a handful of hours. Dad drove up from West Palm Beach. Yes. Okay, is, yes. is that where you're originally from? Yes. West Palm Beach, mm-hmm. drove up, um, spending the day, and then like you're giving a keynote tonight at the UF Summit, this retail summit, right? It's at 5 p.m. and then and then you're out again. I know. And I'm like, I know this is a lot to ask, but we have this really great podcast <laughs> in Gainesville and it's all about making Gainesville super awesome and you're awesome. So like, would you be honest? She's like, lunchtime or early morning? I'm like, early morning for the win. <laughs> so, Absolutely. I love coming back here and I love doing things like this. It's yeah. the best. Well, I'm, I'm just super honored that you're here and uh, I just can't wait to dive into the story. There's gonna be so many elements to get into. But before I do, of course, I gotta check in with my boy, Mike, the COE, Chief of Everything at New Scooters for Less, co-hosting again, back by popular demand. Who? (laughs) You? Everybody, dude. Dude, everybody's like, Mike is so good, man. Mike is so good as your co-host, keep him on. I'm like, well, like, and I'm like talking to Ty because Ty Rickerian, who does the Best of Gainesville Instagram account, he's normally like my co-host, but he's he's a professional golfer and he's he's like been overseas playing golf and like crazy stuff. I'm like, hey, when you getting back? He's like, I might be back for a couple weeks in April, but then I'm like literally going to Pakistan in May. I'm like, all right, dude, we'll we'll, we'll like we'll we'll make do while keep you're your seat gone. warm for you, Ty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And Mike, Mike's it. gonna keep him out of his job. <laughs> he's not gonna have a job when he comes that. back. I don't know about all that, but. Well, you are doing a fantastic well, thank job. Thank you, I man. appreciate it. I have, a, I have a good person to uh, model, model my uh, social skills, <laughs> oh, blog skills, stop it, podcast skills, stop it. Oh, I wasn't talking about you. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I figured this much. <laughs> so well, I'm, I'm actually. So we're going to this retail summit thing. Is it? Yeah, it's called the retail summit. Mm-hmm. Has I don't even know if UF has done one of these before. They have. It's usually in Orlando. It's in Orlando. Yes. Okay. So this is the first year that it's here. Okay, this is really cool. So I'm excited to to go and listen to some of these speakers. Um, we're going to show up a little late because <laughs> we're going to do this podcast first. Um, but I'm excited to go over there. We've we've gone to a couple like conferencing. We've done. We went to what an Inc. Inc. Yeah, a Groco conference. In, yeah, in Nashville. Nashville. That yeah. was a lot of fun. That was good. Go to Leadercast a lot here mm-hmm. in Gainesville. Um, that's coming up May 10th, I think. Um, so yeah, so some really really cool stuff. But I'm looking forward to. It. I'm looking forward to your keynote tonight. 
Yeah, <laughs> me too. Do, do you love? Do you just love speaking? I do. I think it's so fun, and it, I just think it's one of those things that I never was really shy about. I don't know why, um, but I just think it's really fun to get out there and talk to people and like share the first knowledge, you, and it's great. The first time you got on stage, you weren't like nervous or. I, I always tell people, my, my dad's here, so he can tell you if I'm lying, but when I was a little kid and we would go to the shopping mall and there used to be like stages at shopping malls, I would get up on stage by myself in the middle of the mall and put on these shows. Would I not? Yes, I would. I would do like cartwheels and I was such a ham. I, I just, I loved it. So I don't do cartwheels anymore, sadly, but I can hey, still get up on the stage. Bonus points if you do a cartwheel I tonight. Know, I know. Just pull that I should out. Just, just bust out with it at the end <laughs> instead of jazz hands. Just start cartwheeling across the stage. Well, I mean, so how often do you get out and speak? I would say probably once a month. Okay. Um, it might not be traveling. I mean, since I live in New York, a lot of stuff will be Happens in there. the city. Conferences, and I try to go in and talk to classrooms a lot, like high school kids and. Um, that's really fun for me. I do that through Junior Achievement, which okay. is an awesome program if you haven't heard of it. Yeah, but it teaches, here. yeah, it teaches entrepreneurship skills and business skills to middle school and high schoolers, which I just think is so awesome. Not that math and science are important, but like taxes are important. Yeah. <laughs> Balancing a checkbook is important. And just they teach some of those skills that you might not learn in your science book, but mm -hmm. that are still very important. That's cool. Yeah, it's fun. Well, thanks for giving back your time and doing that. Of course, I tell people all the time, if you're a young person, you have no excuse not to give back because I hear the excuse a lot of, well, I don't have money. Like, I don't have money, I can't, I can't donate, I don't have money. And I always tell people, you are money poor, but you are time rich. And there is no excuse, great, you can't write a $50 check, awesome, can you give 50 hours of time? Because you have value, you have value with video skills, you have video with entrepreneurship skills, with business skills, and are you giving back to the community in ways that don't involve getting out your checkbook and writing a check to someone? Um, so I don't, I hate the excuse of like, I don't, I can't. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's baloney. We have tons of time. Everybody has time. I agree. I agree. Well, so look, let's let's dive into the story a little bit. We like yeah. to we like to start with the origin stories. You can okay. go back as far as you want. You can go back to state, stages and <laughs> stages and malls as a five year old. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't care. Maybe you know, recognize those entrepreneurial tendencies earlier. I, and I am kind of fascinated, you know. And we'll start heading that direction. But like, you know, I know that you actually worked for a company mm -hmm. first and then became an entrepreneur. I'm always kind of fascinated by that. Like when you recognize that you have that entrepreneurial DNA. Um, so why don't you take us back a little bit and just tell us, you know, your story. Yeah, well, I'm an accidental entrepreneur in that I, I say that some people are born entrepreneurs where they have lemonade stands or they're selling candy at the back of the bus or they have a lawnmower conglomerate where they're like having other people in the neighborhood help them mow lawns. Like I was buying the candy from, from the kid at the back of the bus. Like I was not the candy seller, I was the candy purchaser. Um, so that was not me. Uh, I never had like grand plans to be an entrepreneur. My grand plan was to work at a magazine publisher, which is what I ultimately did. I loved magazines from you know age of 10 up. And I was never one of those people who kind of waffled in between things I wanted to do. I was like, I'm gonna work in a magazine, I'm gonna work in a magazine, I'm gonna work in a magazine. All my internships were at magazines. <laughs> like, I was tunnel vision on working and publishing. So when I left the University of 
Florida in 2008, went up to New York and started working at Condé Nast. Uh, and I had followed my mentor up there. She was working at Condé Nast at the time. So she gave me my first job, which is amazing, and started working at Brides Magazine. So that was kind of the goal. And I got there and worked at Condé Nast for about two and a half years. And then another opportunity sort of popped up last minute at this, what I thought was a really cool activation agency. And they had really cool clients and uh, was introduced through a friend of a friend and essentially took this job and realized very quickly that it was not a fit. I didn't do my homework. I didn't really understand what an agency was. I just kind of thought, you know, it was going to be like Mad Men and we were going to drink like whiskey every day at four (laughs) o'clock. Like like, we weren't. (laughs) There was no whiskey at four o'clock. So I was like, this is nothing like the show. What is going on? Um, And so it was very sad. And so I sort of was like, I am, I've made a terrible mistake. I've ended up somewhere that I shouldn't have ended up. And that's a total sort of like rookie move. And now I tell young people that there's thankfully lots of ways to do your research about where you take a job. You can go on glassdoor.com or the Muse. I mean, there's tons of websites now that, you know, will give sort of the raw real deal of people like yelping their work experience of like, this place is terrible. Or, you know, you can, I, I didn't do any of that research. So that would have been important, uh, but I didn't do it. And so I ended up somewhere and I knew very quickly it was not a fit. And so I was thinking I have two choices, which is to uh, go back to my old boss at Connie Nast and cry and ask for my old job back. Uh, But I sort of left Jerry Maguire style. Like I was like, I'm out and like, you know, blaze of glory behind me. Um, So the thought of like groveling and going back was kind of icky. I was like, who doesn't, no one wants to grovel. That doesn't sound like fun. And so I was like, what am I gonna do? I mean, they're gonna have to grovel and ask for my old job back or, you know, some, something else and luckily for me at this at this agency sitting next to me was my now co-founder and she saw how miserable I was and she also was not totally thrilled she had been at the agency for about a year and a half I think at that point and she asked me to go to drinks with her and she had this sort of inkling of an idea of of what she wanted to do and you know what I want to do with her and you know in my mind I was either like okay cry and grovel or start this thing that will inevitably fail because, you know, 98% of startups fail. So I was like, great, you know, statistically, (laughs) statistically, this will fail. Um, And it will fail after three months because that's how much savings I have. And I will run out of run out of money. um, And my roommates will not pay and sponsor my lifestyle. So I was like, I'll run out of money in three months. And then when I gravel back to my old boss or to another job, I'll have like, you know, the CEO of a company that doesn't exist on my resume for three months, and that will be really fun. And so that was sort of the origin story. And I I tell that because we had all these plans of what would happen when it would fail, because we were very realistic. We were like, you know, 98% of startups fail, like we will fail. And so we had all these plans of what would happen, like, okay, we only have three months, and that's when we run out of money, so that's our failure timeline, da-da. But then when we started to succeed, we're like, oh, wait. <laughs> We didn't plan for this. <laughs> it's actually working. Like, what the heck is going on here? Um, but I think it's I think it's important, and I think that that's almost a recipe to success is to plan for failure because it's you know it is part of the 
part of the process um, and really getting okay with failure. And I think because I was not an entrepreneur by nature, I think that the way I became an entrepreneur was getting really, really comfortable with failure. Um, And I sort of take this test with people where I say, if you can map out the worst case scenario and you're okay with it, then you should do it. Because there's a lot of times if you map out the worst case scenario, like it's not okay. And therefore you, you shouldn't do it. And I actively tell people like, if you map it out and you have this great idea, but the worst case scenario is really not good, I'm not one of those rah-rah people and rah-rah founders that are like, no matter what, like, believe in yourself, like, go for it. (laughs) I'm like, if your house is going to get, like, taken away from you and, like, your kids have nothing to eat, like, uh uh-uh, like, no, no, like, I'm not going to rah-rah you into debt, (laughs) like, absolutely, because no matter, there's no amount of belief that's going to, like, put food on the table, right? Like, you have to have some sort of uh, sense of reality, and I feel like so much of the founder stories is, like, believe in yourself, no matter what, like, crush it, and I'm just, like, can you realistically crush it, and, like, is that real life? Um, Because I think that's, I think that's the sort of unsexy part that no one wants to talk about. Everyone wants to talk about like crushing it, going after your goals and, you know, screw the haters and you can do it. And it's like, well, you should probably listen to haters a little bit. (laughs) Maybe they have a point, (laughs) you know? So when you were, when you made that transition, Mm -hmm. I mean, did you tell dad? (laughs) <laughs> what, what was that thing? You know, oh I was like, oh, God. what, you're leaving the job to go start your own thing? This is, I mean, this is exactly why I was like, Dad, you should just be on the I podcast. <laughs> we can, like, talk, we can talk about all this. I know. I don't think I told my dad for, I don't think I told either one of my parents for at least, like, two or three weeks. Um, because, again, surprise, I... Surprise! New thing! <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't, he wasn't happy. <laughs> Neither was my mother. Um, <laughs> but I think it's one of those things that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I can absolutely see why they were freaking out. Um, it was 2011, you know, 2010. We were not out of the recession. Some would say we're still not. But, you know, we're, we were not out of the recession in 2010. Uh, I had a lot of friends that had lost jobs or couldn't find jobs in 2010, especially in the creative agency world. You know, creatives at that point were getting laid off because people had no money for vlogs and video and, you know, creative teams and design teams. And so it was really kind of a scary time. And so to leave something that's secure with really important things like health insurance, I mean, that's important. If you break your leg, you know, having somebody to help you pay for that is important. And leaving that sort of stable health insurance paycheck job to venture into the unknown, yeah, that's a little scary. And I think for any parent, they're never going to want instability for their kids. They're never going to want, certainly don't want them living without health insurance um, or living in any sort of peril. So I think now looking back, I can absolutely see why my parents were completely freaking out and completely saying, you know, what are you doing? But again, going back to that sort of worst case scenario, and I I really, really encourage people to do this. And I don't even mean becoming an entrepreneur. I just mean like in anything in life is to sit down yourself with a piece of paper and a pen and say, okay, 
whether it's going to University of Florida or whether it's marrying this person or whether it's taking this job or quitting my job and becoming an entrepreneur, sitting down with a piece of paper and going, what is the worst case scenario? So for me, I sat down and said, okay, I'm gonna leave this job at the ad agency. Worst case scenario, okay. Worst case scenario, this startup fails. Fails spectacularly, miserably. I have three months of savings and that's it. Okay, I blow. Hey, Dad, are you there? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Dad. Yeah. So, like, I was wondering if I can come home. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, blow. Like, worst case scenario, I blow through all my savings. Okay. Worst case scenario, I have to move back to Florida. Right. I have to leave New York. Leave all my friends. Leave the glamour. Kind of come home with my tail in between my legs. Okay. Come home. Um, you know, I'm gonna have to live you know, on my mom's couch. Okay, I'm gonna have to live on my mom's couch. I'm gonna be living in Florida, in West Palm Beach, with no job, living on my mom's couch, and I have to find a job at Starbucks. Okay, and being like, okay, am I okay with living in West Palm Beach, Florida, leaving New York, and working at Starbucks? And the if the answer to that is yes, great, do it, because you've already stomached the worst case scenario. But for some people doing that test, the worst might be a lot worse than that because they might have three kids, they might have college Mm -hmm. loans, they might have a mortgage out on their house. Like for them, that test might be really bad, you know, going into severe debt or, you know, losing custody of their kids or I don't know, like a myriad of things. So I think getting really real about what the worst case scenario is and saying like, can I stomach that? Yeah. And if you can, great. And if you can't, then then you start with tactics of like, how do I lessen the worst case scenario? Are there things that I can do so that when I at least take the leap? Because I, I hate when people say that entrepreneurs are irresponsible and just, oh, they leap before they look and they're just they're such go getters and they just go. And it's like, actually, we, we assess risk really well, like really well, true entrepreneurs, because you don't want to fall. So you're constantly thinking of like, what's going to go wrong? And okay, what's plan B and what's plan C? And if I don't sell as many scooters this month, like what am I going to do next month? Like you're already five typically steps involves ahead. crying in the bathroom, right. <laughs> alone, locked away. <laughs> totally. Like typically, you know, you're, you're already thinking about that. So, so I think it's, I think it's just one of those things that you have to, you have to ask yourself before any big decision. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, just hearing you talk about stuff, I'm reflecting on my own situation because I, I very much was, I mean, I started New Scooters Plus while in school, a couple months before graduating. And I remember I remember telling my parents and my, my dad specifically, I mean, he hates that I tell people this, right? Like he absolutely <laughs> hates that I tell people this, but like, I mean, he gave me the biggest motivational speech of my life, which was when you fail in six months, don't come crying to me for money. Yeah. And, and, and I was, and it took me a while to like, to go back and, you know, I knew that he wanted what was best for me and he felt like what was best for me was very much, you know, go have the steady job, have the benefits, you know, like all the things that you, that you mentioned and then, hey, later on in life, you have, you've saved up some money, go do that thing. But I was very much like, yeah, don't have the wife, at least at the time, you know, I, was, yeah. I had a girlfriend, but, you know, didn't <clears throat> didn't have a wife at the time, didn't have kids at the time, didn't have a mortgage, didn't have any of those things. And so I was like, man, Perfect it, time. This, this makes sense to do it now. And and luckily I just followed my heart and did it. But yeah, you're. But I bet now he's like, that was the right move. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, and then like it only took a, a few months for him to become one of our investors in the company. You know? I love it. So uh, yeah, so it was really really cool. Um, take me back a little bit to like, you know, now you're in those three months. You're saying okay, okay, like 
we're actually being successful at this. Like well, when you got that first deal, and, and I think you should probably, let's explain to everybody like what the super fan company is, what you guys do, and then and then talk about that first income that did come in and you're like, oh, like people are actually paying us. This is cool. Um, totally. Tell me about that moment. Yeah, it's always been an agency. I would say though, in the course of the eight years since we started the company, it's definitely like, any startup, right? It's probably had like nine lives. <laughs> like we've morphed so many times. We're like a butterfly constantly, like coming out of the cocoon because we work in entertainment. Um, and I think what's so important to keep in mind is when we started the company in 2011, I love reminding people, you know, there was no such thing as Instagram. There was no such thing as Spotify. There was, you know, Twitter was just becoming a platform that people used. I mean, the amount of change that we've seen in eight years in the entertainment industry is absolutely massive. The amount of disruption that we've seen from Spotify, from Snapchat, from Instagram, the way people are consuming things is completely different than it was eight years ago. So when we started eight years ago, the impetus of the idea was how do we reach super fans? How do we reach this fan base that we felt like other marketing agencies weren't talking to? Because we felt that most marketing agencies were looking at everybody and saying, whether it's Katy Perry or whether it's the Rolling (coughs) Stones, was how do we get more, more fans, more likes at the time on Facebook, just more, more, more. And our question was, is more better? Like the old quality versus quantity Mm -hmm. question. You know, if I get my dad to buy one Katy Perry song on iTunes at the time for $1.99 and try to convince a hundred of his friends to download one Katy Perry song for $1.99 when they might never listen to Katy Perry again, is that more valuable than getting Jenny, who loves Katy Perry, and not only bought the album, bought the backpack, bought the lunchbox, bought the front row tickets, bought the perfume, you know, is the ROI on Jenny better than my dad and a hundred of his friends? And my answer to that would be, of course, because Jenny's gonna be a fan for the next five years. You could leak thousands of dollars out of Jenny. Whereas my dad, okay, 199, and every time you're gonna have to convince him over and over and over again how great Katy Perry is. And he's just gonna be like, okay, maybe. And so the thought was really, I think you should focus on these super fans because I think they're very valuable. And I think they'll spend a lot of money on the things and the products that they love and the music artists that they love. And so the original idea was, let's go to retail again, this is eight years ago, everybody. When I say retail, they're like, retail? It's like, okay, well, like Amazon Prime didn't exist, you know, eight years ago. So you have to like put your mind in the time machine and like zoom back. Um, So at the time it was like, okay, retail. At the time, okay, let's go to the biggest retail, Walmart. So a lot of our stuff was product-based in Walmart, making deluxe packages for music artists. Again, people were buying CDs, it was a different time. Um, So our idea was let's take, you know, let's put a People magazine and a CD had a baby. And what came out was something we called a zine pack. So it was like magazine and package, zine, pack, put it together. And it would be a 64 page magazine that we would put together with Katy Perry and her team, interviews from Katy, interviews with her stylist, interviews with her makeup team, 
64 pages of content and exclusive photos paired with her new album and some sort of like limited edition merch. Maybe it was a patch, maybe it was stickers, maybe it was temporary tattoos. And we sold those packages for about three to $4 more than whatever the standard CD was selling for. So if you walked into Walmart and the standard CD was $11.88, this might be $13 or $14.88. So for three or $4 more, you got all of this you know, extra stuff. And the thought process was, again, yeah, I'm using my dad because he's sitting next to me. You know, my dad, the casual, I'm sure he loves it. yeah, my dad, the casual Katy Perry fan, would probably not upgrade for the three dollars to 64 pages about Katy Perry because he'd be like, "Well, I don't care what Katy Perry's makeup is." Like, no thanks. But again, going back to Jenny, Jenny's gonna go 64 pages about Katy Perry, like jackpot, because you know the latest edition of Vogue or Vanity Fair or People Magazine that had Katy on the cover that only has three or four four pages. You're telling me I get 64 pages all about Katie? It was like, duh, gold mine. And so people loved it. So for four years, we did those types of packages for everybody from Katy Perry and Justin Bieber to Kiss and the Beach Boys. I mean, pop, rock, young, old, kids bop, Frozen. Uh, I mean, we probably did tons and just, I can't even count, like just tons and tons of packages like that. And then what started happening, I would say this started happening about three or four years ago, those same music artists that we were working with would come and say, Kim, you know, I loved working on my album with you. This is so fun. And we were talking about this earlier, how the, you know, the life of your company evolves. They would come and say, Kim, I, you know, I loved what you were doing with me on the album, but now can you help me on this thing for tour? I'm going out on tour. Can can you help me think about what what my tour, you know, VIP strategy is going to be or uh, you know, I'm thinking about launching a fan club next year. Like, what well, what do you think a cool fan club that's going to be a grouping of my super fans? Like, what could that look like? And the answer always always when you're sitting in the meeting is yes. Yeah, definitely. We could definitely do that. Absolutely. And I would come back to my team and I'd be like, so. Figure it out later. <laughs> like, yeah, I kind of got us into this DNA. thing. Yeah. And I still do that all the time. And they know because the minute I walk in the door, I, I, I kind of say like, so. And they're like, oh, what has she done <laughs> so I'd be like, so I kind of said that we could do this, but like we could definitely do that, right? And they're like, we'll figure it out. But like, Kim, what are you doing in these meetings? But you know, you get there and you're like, we're gonna figure it out. And and obviously we know what you're talking about. We know what you're doing. And so, you know, what we were doing even four years ago is completely different than what we're doing now. But again, you know, I just go back to the way that people are consuming. And that's what a lot of my talk is gonna be tonight at the retail summit is the way that we are consuming now is so different. Again, even four years ago, there was no Snapchat four years ago. Yeah. I mean, the way in which, and and I think in two years, there'll be something else. I don't know what it's going to be, you know, TikTok or, you know, whatever. There's Kick. There's there's always going to be a new something. I don't know if it's an app or if it's a program or if it's a social media extension, but there's always going to be a new something. And that's just going to add layers onto the conversation of how people are engaging podcasts. Another great thing, like 
I, I wasn't listening to podcasts three years ago. I, I doubt a lot of people were, but now it's huge. Gimlet just got bought by Spotify for like millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. So I just think the way that the media landscape is changing so furiously and rapidly, I don't think my company will be doing the same thing in six months from now. Yeah. It's just always changing. I think it's it's interesting <laughs> because like even with our new media company, like the things that we've been doing and saying, like I've been telling people, look, like we're gonna come up with a long-term strategy because the goal is to build long-term brand. Right. Right. So like we're gonna be doing this, but just realize that even though like this might not necessarily be in the plan. If three months from now, Instagram flips the switch and says, okay, Instagram TV is now out. Like we're gonna start creating content and starting doing things that are gonna help your company, you know, or your personal brand in that moment because you just don't know when those types of things are gonna happen. I mean, it literally changes overnight. Oh, overnight. Last week, I, I thought it was so surprising. Um, I don't know if you guys saw or anybody in the room saw, but Instagram came out with their shoppable feature. Mm-hmm. So now I think they have 20 brands that are launching with beta. One of them is Nike. I think Tori Birch is on there, a couple other things. So now that when you <laughs> touch the picture on Instagram, Instagram has a, a curated pop. I, I've done it. If you guys haven't done it, it's very fun. You touch and like the Nike curated pop-up comes and it says like, do you want to buy these shoes? And there's actually now a shopping cart within Instagram. And instantaneously, that's going to put like five businesses out because they were third parties. That's how they were making all their money with all these bloggers like it to know it and all this other stuff. If you follow fashion bloggers, I'm sure you've seen that link. Mm -hmm. And it would allow these shoppable experiences. And the same way, you know, Instagram stories totally ripped off Snapchat. Like the minute these big guys start saying, okay, we're gonna get into this game, all those things are gonna be out of business. I mean, boom, Mm -hmm. to your point, like the landscape changes and it's not like they told anybody that was coming out. Everybody just woke up one morning and they're like, great news. So Instagram is now shoppable. Is there anything that you're doing as a company to like really try to stay ahead of that curve or like, I mean, cause you're right, the climate changes so fast. Like what are you doing? So like when that next change happens, you're yeah. just prepared for it or. I think the drum that we're constantly beating all the time is one, obviously about super fans. I mean, cause just like there's climate change deniers, there's like super fan deniers <laughs> who are like, no, we just have one consumer base. And I'm like, no, you don't. You might not address it and that's fine. You can ignore the problem just like you can ignore climate change. Um, but like the icebergs are melting and you have super fans. So like, I don't know. What to <laughs> um, you know, because you do have people, I don't care whether you're a coffee shop, like there is a regular. There's a guy who comes in every single day at nine o'clock. You can ignore him or you can start giving him incentives or you can start giving him discounts or referral codes. I mean, like you can pay attention to these people or you can't. So I think that's number one, getting people to recognize that. And then number two is, uh, and this is a battle I constantly fight, not only with our clients, but just with everyone, um, because I think it, it happens a lot in corporate, is I absolutely despise the phrase, well, that's how we've, we've always done it. Yep. Well, it, and it usually comes with like a shoulder shrug. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, how always, that's, always, that's, always, that's how we've always done it. And I'm like, well. why? Like, has anybody asked why? Because again, going back to the way that things are so rapidly changing, it's like going in somewhere and someone saying like, well, we keep paper books. Paper books? We have computers. What do you mean you keep paper books? And they're like, well, that's the way we've always done it. Well, newsflash, like Steve Jobs used to exist. So like get a computer. <laughs> and I think, you know, that's a very silly example, but that sort of, you know, mindset still exists in corporate. When you start to ask people like, well, why are you doing that? It's kind of like, well, 
before Joe left, Joe told me this is how they did it. And I walk in every day and I, I do the same thing without really questioning why and is this effective and is this working and is this the right strategy? Because a lot of times it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's it, they, they've been doing it because it had been working or has mm-hmm. been working and then they just get complacent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting because I'm like reflecting that even in a retail setting, I'm like, one of my favorite things to do is when we hire a new team member and they've been in the environment for two weeks, I go up and I say, if this were your business, what would you, what change, would you change right totally. now? Totally, because, because that fresh perspective, they're, they're seeing something, they're seeing a process and they're gonna go, um, why, why do you guys do things like this? And, and there might still be a good reason to be doing it that way, right. but a lot of times you outgrow the process or you know what worked for 10 people isn't working for 30, isn't working for 50, isn't working for, you know, like, and so I think you just get in a rhythm and I think it happens in business all the time. You just get in a rhythm and you're just like, oh, that's just, that's just, the, way, that's just the way we've always done it. Yeah, <laughs> shoulder shrug, I'm gonna totally. do that for now on. It's <laughs> the way we've always that's done the it. Way always done it. And it's hard, right? Cause you're in the weeds. You're in the weeds of your business. And I think that that's one of the reasons that our business has been so successful and why my team and I have been able to kind of like dig in and with a lot of our clients is because our <laughs> clients are going, you know, help us with our super fan strategy like what you know we're in the weeds like what what should we be doing what do these people want what are some tactics that we should be using and so i think that fresh perspective is really helpful yeah how big is your team now there's four of us okay yeah Dang. yeah i you know it's funny i have realized something that there is a difference between being good at something and liking it those are actually like two different things because at one point we were up to 16 people and while I realized I was a good manager, if I do say so myself, it's <laughs> a good manager. Um, while I was a good manager, I didn't like it. I actually don't like managing people. Like I can do it, of mm. course. I can also clean my toilet, but like I don't <laughs> like doing it. So, and I think it's important to realize because when I realized, wow, I don't like managing people, it was sort of this aha moment of like, I need to get people around me who are self-managers. And my team right now, like today, I might talk to them like two or three times on Slack, but like everything's firing. Like the world tours that we have going out, the artists that we're talking, like I don't have to worry because I know that everything is being done top notch and they're doing it themselves. And I I tell people all the time, I have three rules in the office. That's it, three rules. And that is, is the work good? So like, are you doing good work? Is it on time? We sell, tell someone we're gonna get it by Tuesday. Is it there on Tuesday? And are the clients happy? That's it. Anything else, you wanna have blue hair, you want tattoos, you wanna work from Bali, you wanna work at two in the morning, I don't care. As long as those three things are happening, I don't care where you work, I don't care what you do, I don't care what you look like, like those three things and that's it. Because everything else I think is just, it's inner discipline and it's inner drive to be better and be the best. And I think surrounding yourself with people like that is a recipe for success. And ironically, when we, when we lowered our headcount, we had a better year mm-hmm. the next year, which actually makes no sense because people think, oh, the more people I have, the more I can do. And what I realized is I was spe- spending so much time working in the business 
managing people. Okay, does everyone feel motivated? What are our check-ins, all this stuff? That I wasn't working on the business. And there's a difference between in the business and on the business. And when I could get rid of all the stuff, the HR, the clog, the people reporting to me, the infrastructure, and I could work on the business, it was massive. It was a massive switch that I think most people would say the more people you have, the more you can do. And I just found it was the opposite. Do you mind if we have like a five-hour podcast? <laughs> I have like 800 more questions. <laughs> yes, 750 hours with me. It's going to put anybody to sleep. Um, no, so can we go back to that first deal? Or like, where, you know, again, where that money came in the first mm-hmm. time? I, and, and really some of these connections, because like, I mean, your clients, I mean, are, are your clients... Who are your clients? Because is it like you're you have Walmart and these places as distribution points, right? Mm-hmm. But like you have to have the relationship with the artists, right? So, I mean, did you just DM Katy Perry and say, "Hey, <laughs> no, <laughs> because great there, idea. no, because there's no Instagram. Yeah. You couldn't DM. <laughs> yeah, right. You wanted to. Um, no, my co-founder worked for five years in the record industry, so she had connections at all the different labels. Mm-hmm. And when we first started, it was really getting Walmart to say, okay, again, and those were all connections that she had had from her previous job, which again, another huge learning lesson that I always sort of ring the bell on is to not lose contact with previous jobs, whether it's coworkers or old bosses or whatever, because I'm a true believer that you never know when you're gonna need those people later in life. And you never know when those connections or friendships or whatever it may be, you might find useful again in another existence. And I, when people say like, well, I'm, you know, I'm leaving the this industry and I'm going to the that industry. And I'm like, you have no idea. In six months, you could totally need that old person or you could totally want to ask them for advice. So don't let those connections die on the vine. And there's especially no excuse for it now with LinkedIn and Instagram, like there's no excuse not to stay connected with people, but to always keep those up because, you know, my co-founder hadn't worked at a record label job for a year and a half. And she was able to call a lot of old contacts and a lot of people, and same for me on my side, you know, Condé Nast, when we were first starting, my now creative director, Abby, I worked with her at Condé. I, you know, we eventually ended up stealing her from Condé. I'm sure I'm on a blacklist somewhere, never <laughs> never to work at Condé again because she was such a rock star over there. They were really upset to lose her at the time. Um, probably still even now, still upset about it. And, you know, I was able to use a lot of those old contacts, whereas had I left and just not, or had my co-founder left and not really kept in touch, I don't think our business would have even been able to get off the ground because we so utilized all of those old connections from previous jobs to help us start. And when did you feel like the, okay, we have something here? Like, when did you just know? (laughs) Yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Coming on this podcast. Coming on this podcast, like what? No, I think... I think honestly, this is going to sound like such a little kid, but I I still feel like I get validated like all the time because I'm still such a believer in I don't think you ever get there 
And that was a lesson I learned actually from one of my old volleyball trainers. I was very, very frustrated one day because there was this one thing I just couldn't get and couldn't get and kept working and working and workouts and day after day and I couldn't get there. And I got so frustrated that I finally looked at him. I was like, once I get this, like I'm done. I was like, I will have, you know, I've been climbing up the mountain. And once I get at the top of the mountain, I will like bang my chest like King Kong and I will like be the master. And he looked at me and he was like, you will never be that. And I was like, rude. Like, yes, I will. What are you talking about? But I eventually understood his point, which is like, you're never going to get there because there's always going to be a new goal or a new client you want, or a new Instagram update, or a new whatever, like you're never gonna get there and settle because the people who settle, their businesses die because they're kicking their feet up on the desk and you have to wake up every morning like somebody is behind you and it's gonna take it all away. And a quote that I live by is that if you're not the lead dog, the view never changes. You're gonna be looking at someone else's butt the whole time. So you have to fight every day to be like, I am the lead dog. Every day I'm gonna wake up. All these dad? Like, <laughs> I'm just wondering where all these sayings me. came from. Are they come from you, dad? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. He he should really be on this podcast. I know. He is the most competitive person and I feel like got his competitiveness into me. I mean, I can remember screaming at video games that we used to play at like really enraged when I would lose. <laughs> and it's just, I feel like that competitive nature, you, you can't ever feel like, oh, I've made it. Because the minute you feel like I've made it, there's someone else who's like, oh, you, they let their guard down. They let their guard down, they got lazy, and they <coughs> settled. They were like, well, I, you know, I've sold 43 scooters, you, you know, I'm done. And you have to be like, no, how are we gonna sell 44? How are we gonna sell 45? Sounds like me in August. It is. Remember that. <laughs> Wait, you like, know? the goal, we had this August where there was this goal. What, what, what was the goal? Do you remember? It was uh, 190 it was or something? Like, yeah, 194. It was like, one, it was like, <laughs> yeah. like we had a goal. Like, August goal was like 194, and, and we hit it when? Two weeks in. We hit it two weeks in August. And they're all like, yo, Colin, like, let's, let's yeah. celebrate. We hit the goal. And I'm like, 300, 300 right. is the goal. Like, <laughs> like, and then we hit 300, and then got up. We ended up 311, at 311. Number, yeah. 311. Yeah. Totally. I mean, that's a, I, I think you have to have that attitude if you're going to stay successful and I think if you you know we can all look at people whether it's Warren Buffett or whether it's Richard Branson or Mark Cuban you can look at all these people and be and people say all the time like why are they still working like Warren Buffett never has to work again his grandkids never have to work again for like a day in their life but that guy gets up and has a diet coke at McDonald's every morning and drives his car into the office and I feel like that sort of mental attitude of like, even if I don't need to, I'm gonna do it because I have some internal voice or some internal drive to like do this. And I feel like it's one of those things that I I have milestones certainly that I'm really proud of, projects that I'm really proud of, accomplishments that I'm insanely proud of that my team has, my team and I have been able to do, but it's not like I ever think I'm there if that makes any sense. Like, I always think that the, you know, the carrot, it's like I have a stick on a carrot. Like, the carrot's always just out of reach that I never really feel like I get it. But does that mean you'll never be satisfied? 
Probably. <laughs> All right, I'm just curious. You should have a therapy session after this. <laughs> Do I have to pay you for this? Like, yes, it probably means I'll never well. be satisfied and never find happiness. <laughs> Do you still get starstruck? I do. There are certain people. There are certain people. um, I think the most, most starstruck that I've ever been. And again, when I was growing up, my dad used to play a lot of Beach Boys. A lot of Beach Boys and Jan and Dean and just like, you know, surf music. And so I grew up with that all the time. And the Beach Boys got together about four years ago for their 50th anniversary, all the original members. And you know, spoiler alert, they hate each other. Like you could, there's tons of books and movies, you know, Brian Wilson and Mike Love, they hate each other, their cousins, all this stuff. And so to get them all together again, it was like an act of God that all these people were even in the same room because- An act of John Stamos probably. Literally, like they, you know, it's it's legendary how, how fractioned the band is. And so they all, all the original members who are still alive, uh, got together at the top of Capitol Tower to celebrate the 50th anniversary. And we got to do one of these zine pack packages in Walmart for that 50th anniversary. And I can remember going in and, you know, they had a, it was a day long press day. And for anybody who hasn't been on a press day, what that means is an artist, whether it's the Beach Boys or Rihanna or Katy Perry, will be in one place all day and podcasts like this or Rolling Stone interviews or whatever, they'll get an allotment of like 20 minutes. They'll be like, okay, Rolling Stone UK is coming from 9 to 9.20. Rolling Stone Japan is from 9.25 to 9.40. And the artist stays in the same place, but the people rotate out. So they're not putting the artist everywhere. The podcasts are coming in, Mm -hmm. the magazines are coming in and they're filtering in. And I remember we had a very specific, you know, 11.40 to, you know, 12.15. And then the band had a 45 minute lunch and then it was back to, you know, the same grind in the afternoon. And these guys are older at this point. I mean, they're probably in their 70s easily. And we got to the end of our allotted, you know, 40 minutes. And again, it's all these people in a room that, you know, might not totally love each other. But at the time, they were having fun and reminiscing. And uh, they were having so much fun that they were like, you know, can you stay for lunch? And I remember being like, oh, my God. One, Mike Love is talking to me and he's sitting next to me. And two, he's asking me to stay for lunch. And I can remember there were these PR teams that were, like, glaring at us, right? Because it's their job. I get it. It's their job to be like, we got to make sure that today runs on time. Like, you got to go. You got to go. And I can remember looking at this PR girl, looking back at Mike Love and being like, absolutely. (laughs) Like, I'll absolutely be staying for lunch. And she's, like, giving me these eyes, like, die, die, die. And I'm like, I'll absolutely stay for lunch. Thank That's you very much. Awesome. And they were having the best time and they were older. And, you know, oh, you remind me of my granddaughter. And, oh, you know, Mike Love was like, my grandson's single. And I was like, I'm not, but we could make it work. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it'll, it'll work out. And it was one of those moments where I was just like, holy crap. Like, I am sitting with legends, right? I mean, the, the, uh, pet sounds like legendary stuff. And I remember at the time, I hope you kept this card. I brought a card. It was it was getting close to my dad's birthday. And I had the entire band sign a birthday card for oh, my dad cool. and and gave it to him. You better never lose that card. Because <laughs> I can remember getting it and being like, should I give this to my dad? But I was like, they had written like Peter on it and stuff. And I was like, I guess I have to. <laughs> but that was a moment that I was just like, wow, this is like 
legendary stuff. That's cool. Like this will never happen again. And that was definitely like a like I almost had to leave the room. Like I almost cried. Like I was just like, keep it together. You are a professional. <laughs> <laughs> You've got this. Do you like, talk to yourself a lot? <laughs> oh my god. I can All see the this. time. I'm Pep like, talks in the mirror. I know, like, yeah. yeah, power pose. Such a connection right now. I'm like, this is like I I do the same thing. I'm like, you got this. You can do this. Oh, get yourself together. Stop crying. <laughs> Don't cry in front of your team. Like get up. Hundred percent. So again, I have six hundred ninety nine more questions now. Um, Let's, I mean, it's definitely something that's like probably been brought up a million times in a million different podcasts, right? But but you guys were on the famous show Shark Tank. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, and you raised a lot of money on Shark Tank. We did. Right? We did. Or at least from the perception of yes. the TV. <laughs> we, did it. we didn't take the deal. Oh, you did In it. the end. No. Oh. Yeah. So it's that's something spoil, that I didn't spoiler know. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when you, cause one of my questions were, it was with Lori and Robert originally. Yeah, and, yeah. and one of my questions was, are they actually as nice as they seem on TV? They are. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're wonderful, <laughs> wonderful humans. So we, our episode aired in season five. Um, and it was really great and really awesome. And I will always remember it because we had one of the most highly watched episodes of mm. the season. And at that point of the show, up until that point, and I love saying that it was because of us, but but what it really was is Shark Tank is on from eight to nine, and at the time from nine to ten was the Diane Sawyer, Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn reveal. <laughs> so like, I was the last opener for Bruce Jenner, R.I.P. <laughs> Caitlyn now. And so everyone was tuned in. Like people would probably just put it on, you know, channel whatever twelve, waiting for the debut Finishing of Caitlyn. Yeah. Um, so our, our episode had really high ratings, but I think it was really for Caitlyn. But I'm I'm just saying it was probably for us. Yeah. <laughs> slash Caitlyn. But um, so can you talk about that process? So I mean, I don't yeah, know if there's stuff yeah. that you're not allowed to talk about. I don't know what the rules are there. Well, they like, haven't come after me yet. Okay. So. <laughs> so I mean, on on the show, yeah. it was you guys had asked for seven hundred twenty-five thousand dollars for ten percent of the company, right? And it was negotiated between. It was a deal with Lori and Roberts, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And you got seven. It was seventeen and a half percent. Yes. For the seven hundred twenty-five thousand. Yep. So, so it looks like everything looks like oh great they got this great deal. So yeah. what, So what happens afterwards? I mean, well, just afterwards, more... and this is why I, ha- I have like a hate love with Shark Tank, and I love it in terms of I think it's amazing that it's teaching a next generation of kids about <coughs> business, about math. You know, I have some people whose kids try to do the calculations in their head like before it shows up, like oh okay seventeen percent. You know, they try to do it. So I think teaching kids about business. Certainly, do I want them watching that on a Friday night as opposed to the Kardashians? Like, absolutely. Like, I'd way rather people be watching business and entrepreneurial content than reality TV shows. Um, So in that case, I think it's amazing. Do I think it's realistic to show people that in eight minutes you can raise three quarters of a million dollars? No. (laughs) Because I've had people since then be like, oh my God, raising money is so easy. Like raising VC money is so easy. And you know, you guys know if you start a business, like getting investors is not easy. It's actually a really tough process. And so for people then to have in their minds, like, oh my God, you can raise a million dollars in 
15 minutes, like no problemo. It's like, okay, well, that's not real life. <laughs> like, like that's not real, you know? Um, so I think in that way, do I, I sometimes think it oversimplifies to the point that people think like being an entrepreneur is really easy. Like, oh, you have such an easy job. And you're like, no, we, I actually have like a very, very difficult job and raising money, um, which we've never raised money. We never did an angel round or a seed round or VC money. Like we've never done a proper raise, but I have tons of other founder friends who have, and it's, you're in the weeds, man. It is a grind raising investor dollars. I don't care if you're angel or if you're at a series B, like that is a really tough slog. And so I think, you know, oversimplifying that in eight minutes you can get like almost a million dollars is not really realistic. Well, even that show process is much longer than it, you know. I was gonna say, how, many, how much time do you get to spend with the sharks versus like the producers of the show and everything like that? Oh, <laughs> the only time you spend with the sharks is what right you on see on okay. TV. It's not like you're having coffee afterwards. And, you know, another thing that I, I like to remind people is Mark Burnett, who does uh, Shark Tank, also does Survivor, Survivor. he yeah. does The Amazing Race. He does The Bachelorette. So it's a reality show, right? right? Like the man is brilliant and God knows he's a multi, multi-millionaire. So he's obviously found a recipe for success. But, you know, if the show was all business, it would be boring, right? Like they want the tears. They want the, I mortgaged my second home and now, you know, I have nothing left to live for. Lori, help me. You know, they, they want the drama because no one wants to, I mean, business meetings are boring. I almost fall asleep and they're my own freaking meetings. So, you know, you want that sort of drama or the kid, the cute kids. Like if you watch the show, you can see this sort of like curation that's happening. And so as much as it is, it is real for sure. There's definitely a, a bit of Selection. Selection and staging that's going on, which is important. But yeah, we were asked to be on the show, which is really awesome. So most like people. Like they came to you? Yeah, they came oh, wow. to us. So one of the producers found us. We had been in Inc. Magazine's 35 under 35 list. And the way the issue was set up, I'll never forget it because um, <laughs> Travis from Uber was on the cover. And uh, the you know, everybody who was on 35 under 35 got like a little a picture and a little like blurb about their company. And they had this like bubble next to the blurb. And the bubble was like fast facts. And it was like year founded and then money raised and then investors. So, of course, Uber, it was like, you know, really sexy, like one billion dollars raised and first smart capital and addressy and all these like big power players and all the other, you know, 34 companies, their bubbles were all these like impressive names, you know, Tyra Banks invested, like all these really impressive. And then you got to like our sad bubble and it was like 2011 and then it said N.A. <laughs> like it was just, like so sad, like everybody else's bubble was like super cool with like, you know, all these Mark Cuban invested. And then you got to our like sad bubble and it was just like nothing. I mean, and, at least you had a bubble. Yeah, bro. no, we, I mean. totally, we totally had a bubble. It was just like the saddest bubble of the thing because we, we hadn't taken any money. We had bootstrapped, you know, the whole business. And so one of the producers called us and was actually like, was that an accident? Like he thought that like Inc. just like didn't, I don't know, get the information in time or whatever. And we were like, no, it's not an accident. Like we didn't, we haven't raised any money. And so they were like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. Like you're doing so well and you haven't raised any money and would you want to be on the show? So it was sort of like a really 
happy accident that we ended up on there. Yeah, so what was that conversation like with you and your co-founder, Brittany? Well, I, like, Yo, I mean, you want to do this? Want to be on Shark Tank? Yeah, I want to be on Shark Tank. Oh, <laughs> I'm actually embarrassed to say I didn't know what the show was. I, really, I had never seen the show. And we had been approached in years past um, to do reality TV. So if anybody has ever seen like The Hills or Laguna Beach, where like these MTV or Bravo-y type shows will, you know, we're two young girls in Manhattan working with celebrities and like, you know, they'd follow you around and be like, and then she had a meeting with Katy Perry and then she, you know, broke up with her boyfriend, you know, like all these crazy scenarios. And I just, I never wanted to do that. We had been approached in the past and I was just like, I don't want a reality show about me. I don't want to do that. You know, Brittany was not interested in doing that. And so at first when she said, oh, you know, Shark Tank, it's this show and you're on it. And I can remember looking at her and being like, no shows, <laughs> no shows. Like I'm not doing shows. I'm not doing reality TV. Just like, no. And she's like, well, before you just say no, which was like my instant reaction, she's like, go home and watch the show. Because again, when I hear Mark Burnett, I'm thinking Survivor, I'm thinking Amazing, right? Like, I don't want people following me around. I don't want cameras. You know, you see people like crying in the woods. Like, I don't want cameras up my butt and like, and all these things, (laughs) like, no thanks. And so she's like, go home and watch the show. Because I don't think you understand, which I didn't. I don't think you understand like what type of reality show it is. And she said, if you watch a couple episodes and you still don't want to do it, we don't have to do it. But she had been a fan of this show. So she's like, we should definitely do this. And I was the one who was like, now. And so I went home and I watched a couple episodes and I was like, oh, <laughs> it's not what I thought it was. I, you know, it's not actually as reality TV as I thought it was. So I came back, you know, like a week later and I was like, OK, fine, I'll, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. But um, yeah, it's fun. I, I forget that we did the show because it aired in 2015 and we taped it in 2014 and like I can't remember what I ate for lunch last week oh, yeah. so it was like a while ago but it's one of those things that it makes a really fun like dinner party conversation and yeah. it's one of those things that yeah like at every dinner party I have friends who'll be like tell them what you were on and I'll be like hmm I was on a podcast last week. Like, I'll be like racking my brain and I'll like tell what was on. And they'll be like, your big fun fact. And I'm like, big fun fact. Like, junior Olympics for volleyball. Like, feel like that's really good. And then they'll be like, Shark Tank. And I'll be like, oh, right. Yes, Shark. Yeah, that one. That one. Got it. Sorry, I forgot. So, So why did the deal fall apart? We just realized afterwards, because after the episode finishes, when you finish recording, that's when you actually do like proper due diligence. So right. you've had investors. So I don't know if you've ever well, had outside investors. Yeah, well, the loan, like the investors that I have for yeah. New Service Plus have been private loans. Mm. So like I own 100% of the company, but okay. yeah, so it's a little bit different. A little bit different. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> if you're going through a proper investment raise with with VCs or anything, you know, you go through due diligence. The lawyers are involved, they're looking at your books, they're looking at opportunities. I The simplest way to describe it, I tell people all the time, is it's like dating. It's like going on a couple dates. And so Shark Tank's a little backwards because it's a little bit like, we're gonna get married. And then it's like, let's figure out if we like each other. It's like 90 day fiance. It's like, we're gonna be in business together. And then like, wait a minute, do we actually love each other? So that 90 day fiance show on TLC, I feel like is very much like Shark Tank. <laughs> Um, 
where you've decided you love each other before you even get into it. And it's like, no, like, do you clean up? Do you fart? Like, what's going on? Like, do we even like each other? And so when you go through that due diligence process, that's a little bit like dating. Like, what are your goals and what are my goals? And, you know, do we see eye to eye and do we want the same vision? And, you know, we just sort of realized after a lot of due diligence that, you know, Robert and Lori's teams are awesome. We actually ended up doing some work with them down the road and have helped them from time to time and they've helped us from time to time but we just sort of realized that we didn't like we weren't on the same page which again it's totally just like dating like it's totally fine like you can not date people and they can still be awesome people Uh, but we just sort of realized like this isn't the best fit for us so we didn't we didn't end up going through with the deal but we love them and they're great and the show is great and so i have nothing but but good things. And I will say it's it's the gift that keeps on giving because about every six to eight weeks our episode re-airs. So mm-hmm. I always am getting pictures and texts from friends who are like in the gym and I get this video <laughs> of like my big fat face and they're like, look who I saw while running today. And I'm like, oh God, like not again. But um, it's also a double-edged sword because I've had people, friends who've gone on the show and have gotten really bad quote unquote cuts, like re- really mm-hmm. bad segments where they're crying or they can't answer the question correctly or, you know, um, and that also re-airs every six to eight weeks. So if you also have a bad showing, <coughs> it's almost like the wound that never heals because mm. every six to eight weeks, replay, know, replay, <laughs> which is, so I always tell people, if you're thinking about going on the show, like think long and hard because if you get one of those bad ones, it's going to be like kind of bad forever. Yeah. Which is scary. Do you uh, tell me a little bit about your partnership with Brittany? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I've I, I with New Scooters for Less used to be in a partnership. We split after a couple of years. Partnerships can be really hard because I mean, you are very much married to the person. Um, like, you know, what's over the years? Like, how, what ways have you guys found to like really ensure that that relationship stays healthy? And like, what advice can you give to other people that are in business partnerships? I would say at at the very, very start to sort of assess where you are. Brittany and I were a little different. And and again, I have lots of other founder friends. That's important, by the way. If you're thinking about starting a business, like find other founders. That is something I feel like we did way too late. And if you find those other founders, they not only become your friends because they're cool people, but they know like exactly what you're going through. Mm -hmm. Like when I would tell my corporate friends things like, oh, I can't figure out how to file my quarterly taxes because I have an LLC and I'm so frustrated. They'd be like, do you want a mimosa? Like, <laughs> like they just didn't understand you know, what I was going through, nor should they, right? Like they right. were at a corporate job. And I think it wasn't until I found those founder friends that when I would sort of express that, they were like, oh yeah, me too. Like, oh, you know, oh, here's what I did. Like, oh, me too, and here's what I did. Or here's somebody that could help you with that. And so I think first and foremost, like, get founder friends. That is, like, step number one. Even before you start a business, even if you're thinking about starting a business, like, take five founders to coffee. Because you might realize after five coffees, like, ooh, like, these guys are waking up at four in the morning. Like, ooh, like, do I really want to do this? Because, again, like, things can look really rosy from the out. Houses can look really pretty. And you get inside, and that house is a mess. And you're like, oh, no. Like, (laughs) didn't want that. So, like, that is so important. I believe in that so much. It's Mm -hmm. so incredibly important. And, 
you know, again, going back to Brittany and I, I think what's a little different is most founder friends that I have, when they have co-founders, they'll be like, Jimmy and I have been friends since high school. Terry and I met in college, you know, and that's great, but <coughs> risky, right? Risky, because you have a lot of personal friendships and a lot of maybe your families know each other. There's a lot of other factors at play. I think that's what's really unique about Brittany and I is we met in October of 2010 and we incorporated the business in January 2011. Again, going back to why dad was like, what are you doing? I mean, I had literally known this person for 90 days, which again, looking back, I can totally see why my dad and people were freaking out because I was 25 at the time. I didn't even realize, by the way, which is kind of like a duh now, but when you incorporate an LLC, that's a pass-through business to you personally, to your social security number. And by creating that LLC with Brittany, our social security numbers were essentially merged to get, we, we formed an entity, like a baby. Like we formed a little baby that both of our social security numbers were attached to. And we took out a bank account and a credit line. And like, God forbid, had she been crazy or reverse, had I been crazy, and taken $90,000 out of the credit line and it went to Mexico, you know, my social security number would now be married to that default. Mm -hmm. That's really freaking scary that, you know, you don't, you've known this person for 90 days and you've essentially married them. And there's your social security, which by the way, if you ruin your credit score, good luck. That's taking years and years and years and years to repair. And I mean, that could have messed me up for if I wanted to like get married and buy a house. I mean, that can have ripple effects, you know, like a pebble in a, in a water bowl that can have ripple effects for a really long time. So we were it was interesting in that we didn't we met and like immediately started the business, which, again, has its pros and cons, I think. One of the cons is obviously like, thank God, neither one of us were crazy. So like knock on wood that that was not the case. But again, I've heard horror stories. Like I've heard really bad stories of people being like, I didn't realize that my founder was an overspender. I didn't realize that my co-founder was, you know, bad with money, like all these sort of things. So there's definitely a con. But I think one of the pros is we also escaped a lot of, again, those horror stories from founders that are friends where you know they get in a fight and they're both invited to the same birthday party and one of them can't go to the birthday party because they're so mad at each other from something that happened at noon in the office in like a brainstorm. So I think that we sort of escaped that that a lot of other co-founders fall victim to because they're friends. And that can also lead to a lot of problems when you know somebody that well. So I think that we... We sort of got really, really lucky that we were able to kind of navigate those those straits. Brittany, thank you for not going to Mexico. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We appreciate that. <laughs> you just don't realize, I mean, at least I just did not realize the implications of starting a business, which again goes back to like, I w- there's so many things I would tell my 25-year-old self. Yeah. You know, but I think we also had a really unique naive look 
of like, well, of course, this is, you know, going to fail or, you know, if it, if it works, great. And was I thinking about getting a mortgage with my non-existent husband in four years? No. Like, I wasn't thinking about those things because I was 25 and I was like, where's the pizza and free beer? Like, where's that? Like, where's that happening this weekend? Where's the whiskey at four o'clock? Yeah, like, I, <laughs> you know, like, I just, I wasn't thinking about in five years from now, if I want to, you know, buy a car, am I going to have problems doing that? Yeah. I just wasn't thinking that far out. Whoops. Well. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, UF. <laughs> Thanks, you have for that education. No. <laughs> um, so, Dad, are you gonna let me ask you a couple questions? No. Come on, Dad. <laughs> no. Just, we have another mic. No. I'm good. Oh, Thank you. Okay. Maybe well, next time around. Maybe next time. <laughs> that means we have to come back. I mean, well, just like how? I mean, what's it like having your daughter be thirty? Forbes thirty under thirty, like these these things. I mean, that's this is incredible stuff. I, mean, I these, tell these him things, all the time. I could be I, way worse off. Yeah. <laughs> I could be asking you for money like every week, yeah, right? And I mean, I'm that's not. Awesome. I mean, these are things that like I aspire to be. Like, I, and I know that sounds great, but like, I mean, like, one of my goals has always been to have my face on a cover of a national like publication like that. Like. I mean, and, and, I, and I'm not, I don't really know why. It's just like, it's, I think yeah. it's more for the, from the impact side. It's like, yeah. you know, we want to do these things as entrepreneurs to really have impacts and, and really change people's lives. This is one of the reasons why we even started this podcast. This podcast was a complete, like, spur of the moment thing. I, I literally took a trip to Chicago and I told my team, I was like, hey, when I get back from Chicago, I was like, I want a podcast. And, and I set it up and, and the whole purpose was to build Gainesville. I was like, I know how to, I know how to do marketing. I can put people's faces, I can talk about Gainesville, I can talk about, show off the business community here, I can help people build relationships, I can do that. And, um, and like we literally just, you know, started a podcast, and so everything I I've it looks done. super professional, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you're in the making middle of it our... sound like oh, I just whipped it up. Well, it's we, like you have a three course meal here. Well, you didn't I mean, just whip this up. Like this so is you, so I professional. Mean, you know, like I didn't do that like I literally like literally Some, I, somebody in yeah, this room no, they, did they, I don't know who exactly. was, but this looks real professional exactly so. the team the team of executors I actually had a friend of mine who's messaged me saying hey can you tell me a little bit about like the equipment like what I should buy I'm like yeah dude we literally googled and found a blog and then ordered the stuff it told us to order <laughs> like I don't know what to tell you that's the truth so. by the way that's the best and I wish more I wish that would not get a lot of flack I feel like a lot of sort of purist entrepreneurs are like, I'm gonna reinvent the wheel. And I'm like, why? Go see what somebody else did Google and it. Google it. Like, <laughs> what did they do? And just like, do that. Like, why are you on the struggle bus? Like, if you don't need to be. I, and that's, again, going back to like having fellow founder friends. Like, yeah. if you talk to somebody else that had a podcast, or in this case, Googled somebody else that had a podcast, it's like, well, what are they doing? Right. And just like, do whatever they do. Why would you go through the process of like, figuring it all out yourself when you can, just ask someone; they'll figure it out for you. Yeah. Hey, real quick, when you got when you got the title or under Forbes thirty under thirty, I mean, like, really though, what's going through your mind? I mean, were you honestly? Excited? I was. Were you like, oh my gosh, I was like, super panicked because I was twenty nine, and I was like, "It's now or never." <laughs> <laughs> Next year, I'm so screwed. <laughs> oh my gosh! I was like, "We gotta do this." Um, so it was like a deep seated panic. Um, but no, it was one of those things. I had actually applied for the list. And I think this is so important, especially for females, like forget entrepreneurship, just if you are a female, 
sometimes you feel like you're waiting to be chosen. Like, like someone's gonna recognize me. Like I'm working hard at work, I'm working hard at Starbucks and like my boss will just notice how hard I'm working and then I'll get promoted. No, no one notices you. And I'm not saying that to be mean and I'm not saying that to be cruel. I'm saying that to be like a big freaking dose of reality. Nobody notices what you're doing because everybody's caught up in their own crap. Everybody has their own stuff going on, their home life, their business life, their personal life, their mom's sick, whatever it is. Everyone's so obsessed with their own stuff that they might not notice, not never, but like chances are they're not noticing what you're doing. So it's up to you to stand up, go over to your boss or go over to wherever and be like, hey, I'm doing pretty awesome over here. And like, I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know if you noticed that I've been in every single day 30 minutes early making sure this store is spotless. Or I don't know if you've noticed, but in the last month, my sales have doubled anybody else on the sales team. Like, I'm not sure if you're recognizing what I am doing over here. And I think for so many years, I kept waiting to be chosen, like waiting, like, oh, okay, well, you know, surely they'll see how this deal with Katy Perry went so well. And surely they'll see like how amazing this has been that we hit a million dollars in revenue in less than a year. And, you know, surely they'll see. And finally, it was that last year from that deep seated panic of I'm 29 that I actually called the editor, found him on LinkedIn and asked him to lunch, totally asked him to lunch. Like, I think I knew that the cutoff date was in, call it April for the list. I asked him to lunch in like January and I took him to lunch and I just said, listen, I don't know if you know about all this cool stuff that that we're doing. Now, I'm not saying that got me on the list, but I'm certainly saying that I don't know if six months before that he knew who my name was. Like, I don't know if he knew that. And so but we had had a PR team. We hired a PR agency. They were getting us in magazines and all this sort of stuff. And I think your own personal touch and your own personal perseverance and your own personal way of standing up, whether that's to your boss, whether that's to an editor of a magazine, whether that's to a podcast, whatever it is, and just raising your hand and saying like, I'm over here doing this awesome stuff. And I don't know if you noticed, maybe you did and that's fine, but like maybe you didn't. And I think the chances are about 80% of the time they did not realize that you were doing that. And so I think making yourself known and making a lot of noise and being a little aggressive in that way is, I don't think that's a bad thing. And so a lot of times when people say like, oh, you know, what's it like to be on the Forbes 30 under 30 list? And it's like, why well, asked for it? <laughs> And I think a lot of people don't ask because they're waiting to be chosen. It's like, I'm just going to wait for someone to notice what I'm doing. And I don't think you can wait. I mean, I, I, I always tell a story because I think it's so funny. What was it, Dad? Like three or four years ago, that UF award? I won, a, I won the University of Florida Outstanding Alumni of the Year award. Super awesome, right? My parents came up and they both went to UF. So it was like super special because they both went to school and I went to school. So like my pure blood, not like a muggle. <laughs> so like pure gator. And it was really a special moment. You know, I'm winning this award and I can remember it was my mom or somebody was asking me like, oh, how did you win this award? Like, how did you get it? Like, did UF reach out to you because of Forbes or did UF reach out to you because of the Inc. Magazine article or did UF reach out to you because of Shark Tank? And I'm like, nope, I emailed them. 
literally, I saw this award existed and I was like, I'm freaking outstanding. Like, why don't I have this award? <laughs> so I emailed them and basically said that. I was like, uh, hey, boo. Like, I'm out here. <laughs> like, like, I'm doing this stuff. Like, and honestly, God's honest truth, they had no idea I existed. UF had no idea that I, I had to email them and be like, just so you know, I'm going to be on Shark Tank. And like, I went to your school. So like, maybe you want to promote that which is like huge for the school going into their alumni meetings and going into raising money and being able to say, we've had 10 alumni on Shark Tank and we've had, you know, whatever. Of course, people are gonna wanna give money. They're gonna be like, wow, this school, look at this school, they're putting out winning football teams and Shark Tanks and celebrities and Aaron Andrews and Jesse Palmers and look at all this cool stuff. We should definitely give them money. It's like, I'm out here. Like, do you see me? And so did I win the award? Or did I apply for the award? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you want to call it, but like, I literally emailed and was like, I should be in the running. I'm not saying I should win, but like, do you recognize that I'm even out here? And I got it like six months later. So I think it's one of those things that like people, you have to like apply to things that you want. And I think a lot of times people just wait to be chosen and not just, you're going to be waiting around for a long freaking time. Always. I'm fascinated. It's incredible. I'm fascinated. Yeah, I'm like literally like just my jaws on the floor. Like just, I'm just fascinated. So Inc. Magazine, I want to be on the cover. Entrepreneur yes! Magazine, I want to be on the cover. <laughs> Listen totally. to me, Forbes Magazine, I want to be on the cover. You get some email addresses. Like, yeah, please somebody help me out. Hundred percent. Like, give me like let me. I I will tell you why I should be on the cover. But 100%. I mean the. But I guess a big difference though. I mean. I'm comparing us now. <laughs> is that that you've, at least from my perspective, you've done it. Like I mean, you've like, you do have uh, this this really big company, and you you know you have had that impact. Like you know what I mean. So I mean, and maybe and, and I know because I know from an entrepreneur's perspective, it's no, I haven't. Right? <laughs> like well, I know I know that there's so much more for you. Yeah. Like. So. I think what it also is, is it's like a series of baby steps and <laughs> such a bad joke. I don't even know if I should make it, but um, that's, uh, that's always the reason why I should make it. <laughs> it's like the, it's like the original me too, in terms of like the minute I was on Forbes, all of a sudden then it was ink and then it was Shark Tank and then it was like, and I don't want to say that people don't want to work, but there is a sort of validation and we all do it, right? Like if you swipe to someone on a dating app and you're like, Jared, who's Jared? And then on Bumble, you see that you have like three friends in common and you reach out to those three friends and they're like, Jared's awesome. Oh my God, love that guy. You should definitely go on a date with him. You're suddenly like, oh, okay. Like Jared's awesome. Like you get that sort of validation and it's that same it's that same psychology when it comes to press and PR. Because the minute, you know, let's say the local newspaper writes about you, then all of a sudden when you go to nominate yourself <laughs> for something regionally, they're like, oh, well, the local people did it. So the local people must have known what they were talking about, even if they didn't. Like, it's like, well, 
you know, the local people did it. So then all of a sudden, and you just see, you apply that same thing. Okay, regionally, is there a Florida State Award? Okay, then you go to Florida and say, hey, I should win this state award. By the way, I've already won the regional world and I've already won the local one. And then the state's going, well, like if the regional people and the local people thought that this person was good, like they must be pretty good. And you can apply that same mentality. So I always say like the first one is the hardest, but then what you do is you just keep pointing behind you. You just keep pointing behind you being like, well, you know, if the New York Post thought it was good, like it's definitely good enough for Forbes. And then once you have Forbes, you go to Inc. and you say, well, Forbes thought it was good. And what's happened now is now after eight years, I have a lot of things to point to behind me. But like it started, but like I'm still doing it. Like when I want the meeting, when I want an accolade or another award, I'm able to point behind and be like, well, if Shark Tank thought I was good or if Forbes thought I was good or if Inc. thought I was good or if Entrepreneur thought I was good. But being able to point behind you is just like a series of small. And and quite frankly, I did that even before I realized it. I was doing that back in college, actually, with my internships. I did a lot of research online and realized that a lot of the big companies won't take you until you're like a junior or senior. They just they won't take freshmen interns it's just like a rule i don't know what it is so i was like okay i have to make sure that when i'm a junior that i stand out against all the other juniors so i went home back to west palm beach and i really wanted to work in publishing and there was a local magazine called palm beach illustrated they have them all over florida there's like a boca illustrated and a miami illustrated and so i went and worked at palm beach illustrated so by the time i got to junior year i was able to point behind me and be like well i've already done two internships for two magazines, and now I'm applying to your magazine. Whereas maybe the other interns didn't have, mag- like they had really good grades and other accolades, but they didn't have magazine experience. So I feel like I started learning that lesson then, and I just sort of applied that same lesson to PR. And I tell people that all the time, it's just, it's being able to point behind you and going after bigger and bigger and bigger fish. Because once they <laughs> see that it's been quote unquote validated by smaller and it's the same thing with podcasts right like you get one big person like you get one kind of like bigger person on the podcast and you're able to point and be like well if xyz did it and that's how a lot of the big podcasts break right because they're able to say like well if richard branson was on this podcast then suddenly someone else is going oh well if richard branson did that podcast like i should absolutely do that podcast and then you just keep doing it because then once you get richard branson and what i mean it's how tim ferris built the business you, yeah. you just need a couple of those like first little ones and then you can just keep pointing behind you were you i mean was there any thought process at all like when you take this guy out to lunch, this mm-hmm. editor. It was an editor, mm-hmm. you said? Mm-hmm. Okay, took him out to lunch. I mean, was there any thought process that, you know, you're thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's just going to think I'm completely full of myself? Like, and it, I mean, like, was there a fear of that of that perception? Because I, like, I, I know yeah. that you're not. Like, yeah. And it wasn't so much full of myself. It was more of like, and again, I think we're all like this as entrepreneurs. You're so passionate about what you're doing. Like you're waking up in the morning being like, we are the number one scooter distributor. And like, we have these social media plays and we have these awesome Snapchat strategies. And like, you're just so into what you're doing that you're, when anybody wants to talk about it, like me on this podcast, like I could probably be here for five hours. Cause like, I love what I do. I so it's, could be, so. it's so, you know, it's so exciting. Everybody cancel the rest of the day. Yeah. Everyone else in here is asleep, you guys. 
<laughs> no. Um, you know, you're so excited about what you do that you're like, I could talk about this all day. I love super fans or I love scooters or I love podcasts. Like you're so passionate that you're like, let me tell you about something that I love. So I don't necessarily think it's boastful. It's like, I'm so excited doing, and that's why I love people who are super passionate about their jobs, whether you're a candle maker or whether you make coffee, because they're coming in being like, the beans. Yo, the beans I got for like this roast, so good, from Colombia, organic. Like, they're, you're just like, oh my God, I don't even like coffee, but like now I'm suddenly into it, because like they're so <laughs> into it. So like, I think my thought process was going down with this editor and just being like, I, let me tell you about this stuff, because like I'm so excited about it. And like, I don't even know if you know if it exists. And there are people like that all the time. I learn from people all the time. They're like, I wouldn't have known that you guys were the number one scooter until you told me. So like, is that being boastful or is that sharing something you love? Like, I don't know, I think it's sharing something you love. Cause now I feel like, now I'm gonna leave here for the rest of the day and month and year being like, yo, look where I was, numero uno. Like, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. But like, I wouldn't have known unless you told me. Yeah. How am I supposed to know? So I think you have to tell people. I think you do it out of a place of like love and like excitement, right? Not out of like, yo, I'm awesome. Yo, look at me, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a thin line between like ego and <laughs> humility. Totally, and, and passion is, is a pretty pretty nice middle ground, I think. Exactly, that's, a, that's well put. I feel like I float that line a lot sometimes. Which one? The passion line? Yeah, like it's very much the. I I, I think you know because I was even showing showing Kim some some of these like some of the video stuff that we were doing right and I think a, a lot of people can look at that and be like oh my gosh this person's completely full of themselves mm-hmm. right like totally I mean but at the same time you know like like I just said like it's all for me it's all about the impact I'm like I, I know that I'm one I'm one of the few people that's willing to to tell it like it is these stories about entrepreneurship like I'm willing to put it on video and I'm willing to say like look like unless you're willing to do this like maybe it's not right <laughs> you know and put that out on video and put that out for people to see and then people see it and they resonate the problem is so many people see it so many people are so afraid and i've said this multiple times even on this podcast people are so afraid of being judged and, and what other people are going to think of them um and so like yeah so sometimes i think i am like kind of floating that line it's not it's not that i'm it's not that I'm scared about what people will think or say about me. It's more of them not understanding the perception right. or like understand what I'm actually saying or the context. You just don't want to be misunderstood. Your intentions yeah, yeah. misunderstood. So I mean, it's it's funny because even I, I took a clip. I took a clip from one of my speaking engagements at UF, and and I said. Um, I was talking about like domains and having your resume on on but your personal domain and saying yeah like so yeah if you're involved in the club or you're you know you're going to, the, to this club that club like you should have all these clubs on there and somebody somebody was like yeah the, the, yeah bozo like that's really smart put all the clubs on there I'm like uh, entrepreneurship club <laughs> retail society club. you know I was like talking about like business clubs not going clubbing <laughs> you know what I mean like but he perceived it right. as like going right. clubbing I, so that stuff just fascinates me sometimes I just think the the perception that people get in those in those situations is I don't know it's just fascinating so that's the stuff that goes through my head <laughs> for sure but um what's next like what's next for you like what's the next couple of years look like for the company yeah I think what I've been most excited about is I've feel like eight years in, you know, I no longer have like a toddler 
like we're potty trained, like, <laughs> you know, like we can function, we can eat by ourselves. Like an eight year old, you could kind of leave them at home alone, but like they still might blow something up. Um, so I feel like eight years into the business, we've, we've gotten through a lot of the hard stuff. So what I've been excited about in the past, sort of three months and definitely this year is saying again, I know I touched on it earlier is like, how do I continue to give back? Whether that's, you know, once a month going to high schools through junior achievement, whether that's going, coming back here to UF and giving keynotes, whether that is, I just did a partnership with Microsoft on their like 365 stories campaign, uh, giving back in that way. And so giving back time and energy and insights, doing podcasts like this. I mean, if you'd asked me to do a podcast four years ago, five years ago, I don't know, because we we're so in the weeds, like we weren't potty trained at that point. So to like leave the business to do it, go down to UF for three days, no way, because we weren't, we couldn't withstand, we were still so um, shaky, like sea legs. So now that we sort of have <laughs> our sea legs, I don't mind, you know, being able to take time and and give back in these different ways and you know building my personal brand and being able to go out there and I think that just wasn't a reality a couple years ago because the business wasn't in a at a point where I could do that so I'm really excited in 2019 to like get out there a little bit more and start to pay attention to my personal brand a little bit more and um, also just to continue to grow the business and have fun with our clients and it's just been like really awesome really awesome to kind of see it see it grow and continue to grow that's excellent keep doing amazing yeah. things thank you thank for carving you. out time for us thank You're you awesome. for having me this is amazing where can uh, people connect with you like what's your preferred platform or you want to give us your instagram handle or yeah. any of that stuff so people could say i'm hello. on i'm on all the things oh, okay. um, i'm on instagram a lot hence the dm that's how i ended mm, up yeah. on this show so it's just at kim kelp um and i'm on linkedin you can find me on LinkedIn. I do a lot of videos and stuff on there every week. And you could always shoot me an email or now I just got um, kimcalp.com up. I'm so late on that, by the way. Like I had so many people who were like, especially because of the last eight years, you know, so many people's resumes now, like they don't even come with paper resumes anymore. Cause they're right. like, oh, I have an online portfolio and here's my iPad. And they're like scrolling through stuff that they've done. And you know, it's all like jenniferlewis.com. Like they all have these websites. And then my friend, funny enough, like probably about six months ago was like, you have no website. And I was like, what? And it's like, you are literally like turning into a dinosaur. <laughs> like you have no website and you have all these kids coming out of college with like these beautiful portfolios sure. and websites. And I was like, I guess I should do that. <laughs> so I'm really excited. Abby, my amazingly talented creative director built me the most, and I'm not even saying it because it's mine or Abby's, but like what I think is the coolest website. She's such a rock star. So if you go to kimcalp.com, I'd actually love feedback on it. So okay. if you guys can like look at it and send me emails. Um, but I am really excited to kind of hear what people think of that. I haven't like promoted it yet because I'm still kind of asking people what they think of it. And like I asked my mom the other day, I was like, can you see if any words are misspelled? <laughs> <laughs> so like, I want to make sure nothing's spelled wrong before I start was, telling people Was the domain available? It. Yes, because okay. I have such a weird last name, Kelp, K-A-U-P-E. Like, no one has that last name. Like, if you go on Facebook and type in Kelp, it's like me, 10 Russians, and like five <laughs> Hawaiian people. Like, it's so strange. Nobody has, so it's not like a common, no. No, yeah. nobody has it. Nobody even knows how to spell it, so it's, it's <laughs> fine. 
I mean, I'm just hearing you even talk about those. These are things that I talk about all the time, all the time. when I go to UF and I'm like, even, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I do a lot totally. of the talks to like the entrepreneurship clubs and like little things like that, right? And, and I'm telling those guys, I'm like, yeah, I'm just realized that the CEOs that you're gonna be going, I, I know that UF is pressing on resume, like I have this perfect resume, blah, 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 like I get it, but just realize that the next CEOs, 36 years old, you know, like, I mean, like, that's, that's it, we don't look at resumes, we look at your domain, and your domain is your resume, it's your portfolio. Totally, I always had the domain, to be yeah. fair. I, I was smart okay. enough to buy it, right. I just you had just no website. Right. Like, if you go on GoDaddy, like, it's me. I just I just didn't have a website, so I was like, I should get with the times, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> like, get me a website. It's cool, Don't, the one thing that I've realized through this podcast is that you and me are now BFFs. Yeah, <laughs> we're all BFFs. We're gonna have to wake half the room up, but. <laughs> so, well, awesome, well, well, best wishes on everything. Good luck Thank on the talk you. tonight. Um, we'll definitely, yeah, everybody like go check out our website, send her some feedback, yeah. that, that's, that's a great thing. Mike, thanks for being an excellent co-host as oh, always, you. my man. You're, you're, the, you're, you're too kind. You're the best, <laughs> love you, bro. Um, definitely wanna give a shout out, just say, th- I wanna remind everybody, we have, so we've been giving away, we're going to give away a vehicle wrap. We have a sponsor that is Wrap Spot, and they are going to give away a vehicle wrap to a business here. And we've been doing this to like build some exposure about the podcast, but that's coming up quick because this is April 29th and that uh, the last day to sign up for that is May 13th. So you guys, get last minute, like get in there. All right, just go to. Can w- I sign up from New York? Oh huh? yeah. Well, I mean, oh, if you have a vehicle and you want it wrapped, you're gonna have to bring oh, it here. But dang. like, you're all right. I'm out of it. Yeah, you're completely welcome to do One it. One person's out of the race. You lucky people. <laughs> it's actually been going really well. We've been getting hundreds of people like filling out the form and act um, fast. Yeah, it's it's cool. And there, but I mean, still, like, if you get like a one in few hundred shot of winning a wrap, that's twenty five hundred bucks. Like, hey. That's good. So, again, many thanks to Rap Spot. And, um, you guys, this is the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Give me a whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you later. Bye. <laughs>